What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis, and with me this week is... Allie Deitchman. That's right, and this week we're going to be talking about separating ability scores from races, as well as Dungeons and Dragons video games, as well as listen- listening to... Yep, I said listening to, and not answering listener questions at the end. Allie, how are your games this week? They've been good. Um, we had a nice little cool down from the big bad fight at the end of Storm King's Thunder without any spoilers in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got to explore kind of what the characters wanted to do afterwards and all that. Mm. And uh, then we got to play in, well, I got to be a player um, in my friend's home game. So he's actually been DMing when I'm not DMing Tomb of Annihilation. Oh. So I got to play my eighth level rogue again. She's a swashbuckler tiefling and it's it's very amazing and fun to play her. She's a she's a leader, but she's like a confidence building leader where she'll be like, yeah, you know, it's like you can do it. Don't don't not believe in yourself. I believe in you. Believe in the me that believes in you. A motivational pirate. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what she is. Um, and then, of course, we had our bookstore game, mm-hmm. which that was something and a half. <laughs> yeah, uh, we ran the essentials kit mm-hmm. and it actually went really well. And um, for my table, it was like. I had them go up against 28 orcs and they took them all down. Granted, it was through some, you know, minor DM ham waving of mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, you get through it. But uh, everyone had a blast going through it, and there was a lot of laughing. There was a lot of strategic, like, just, it was it was really fun. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, my my game uh, uh, at the bookstore went really well as, as well. Um, I gave them three quests to choose from. They almost literally threw two of them to the side <laughs> and went, no, this one. And like one kid was like, oh, well, maybe we should go do this little one first. Maybe we'll get something good up. And everyone was like, no, we're going to do this one first. Well, if they had done that one first, they would have gotten some health potions. <laughs> so I did. And I did tell them that afterwards. They went, oh, Really? Uh, but yeah. they, without spoilers, they went into a thing to get a thing. And I've never seen a group so just anxious to split the party three ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that happens a lot. I mean, especially if you're going into like these games with people that don't play with you as a DM too. Like I, <laughs> there was a moment I remember in the middle of them fighting all of those orcs when uh, someone said, oh, I'm going to cast web. And I look down at the screen and I cast, I roll my die and I kind of, I like smile and laugh a little bit. And one of the kids below was like, Ooh, fear the smiling DM. And I don't know <laughs> if you know this about me, but I hate that quote. Yeah, I do too. I can't stand it. It's yeah. like, why are you afraid of your DM? Your DM is, you know, trying to, it should be at least personally stacking the deck in your favor. That's mm-hmm. what I was doing. I was smiling and laughing because, oh my God, this is going to be a really cool thing that this player is about to do. Not because they failed, but because it was going to be neat. And it was like, it's those kind of feelings that new players with new DMs, mm-hmm. not necessarily, with strange DMs, stranger DMs. Um, <laughs> stranger DMs. <laughs> <laughs> um, where it, they don't understand that, no, it's okay. You can you can do things. Mm-hmm. And they get that anxiety a little bit, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing was about my group, four of them knew each other and arrived together and they split the party oh cool 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 cool. (laughs) yeah so i was like oh okay um but they they did really well nobody died that's good so a couple people got close yeah um and uh i I got to see them like sweating there at the end with the last encounter which Mm -hmm. i was kind of worried wasn't gonna be that much of an encounter yeah but it was it was fun um and then for (laughs) my home game 
<laughs> the Storm King's Thunder and Chult Adventures. Yes. <laughs> um, so I'm going to try and avoid spoilers here. There is going to be, like, a locations named. Um, they were traveling to Oralunga and to search for a man. Man. A, a man uh, who has a who has the the ring of winter, which was created, which, which is a D and D item. You yeah. Know that. Um, but it was created in my world during my Curse of Strahd game, mm-hmm. and so they are going after it with uh, the, trying to find this person that has it. They get halfway there and they find an entire area of the jungle completely turned to ice. Ooh, like trees and everything yeah and there is a massive frozen solid frog hemoth in the middle signs point to ring of winter yes <laughs> um and, but during this before they found that frog hemoth um my uh oh god why can't i never remember the class the magic the wizard that makes stuff the the new class that was in that your that your boyfriend plays oh gosh uh ooh. I don't know why I can't think of it either right now. Well, the magic person that makes magic devices. Yeah, um, oh, artificer. Artificer. Not there a we wizard. go. Good <laughs> God, well, they're a wizard. Um, uh, my my sister's playing an artificer, and she goes, "I want to make ice skates." <laughs> so she spent some time, made some ice skates, and they went skating. Yeah, why not? Yeah, <laughs> why not? Um, and then when they got to Oralonga, it was. Uh, the bottom part of it was completely frozen. Oh boy! And dude, bro was standing there with a ice panther, and they were like, "Hey, could we like talk to you?" And then he attacked them. Uh, and they fought. Oh my god! I gotta talk to you about this. Uh, so they they <laughs> they fought him. Uh, what was really great was, uh, the rogue and the fighter ran up, and I and it was difficult terrain. But uh, the the fighter, who's a turtle, goes, I want to dash and then drop into my shell and slide the rest <laughs> of the way there. And I was like, I love that one. Take inspiration. I gave out inspiration. Oh, my God. <gasps> Whoa. I, yeah, I know. And then I had to make an athletics check. He got super high. So I, he ran, spun into his shell, and then slid on the he, back. He just pulled a squirtle. Yeah. Yes. Well, and what's even better was I described that there was a meadow of frozen flowers so he's just shearing these and shooting <laughs> off ice shards in all directions and then the rogue goes I want to use my ice skates <laughs> so I was like alright roll these checks he did it he got up there ice panther attacked him and dude bro immediately took out an item in dimension door to uh, the uh, the two other people of course Yeah, and uh, they were like <sighs> you want to make your players panic suddenly move yeah. Your villains unexpectedly. Yep. Um, so that was a cool little like split up fight, and they ended up taking down Dude Bro, put him in shackles, and my wife Tara was just like, "Ha, I got him!" And then he turned to snow. <laughs> simulacrum. He was a simulacrum, <laughs> and I've never seen my players just go, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Harder <laughs> before in my life. <laughs> so, and that's where we stopped that one, and like that was long winded one, but I had so much fun with. Them walking through Chult with them finding the the ice stuff with them fighting Dude Bro, it was a awesomely fun session. That sounds so good. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that that was our games. I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got some news. Yeah. Uh, first off, DMs Guild, and this might be going on right now. It might not, but it's worth talking about. Uh, DMs Guild is doing a charity with uh Random Axe uh Inc, which is a charity foundation. 
Uh, basically, you can go to DM's Guild, find this bundle, which is called Random Axe Charity. And for $10 instead of $88, oh, wow. uh, you get a bunch of DM's Guild content. Wow, really? Yes. And all, from what I understand, all proceeds go to Random Axe. Huh. So if uh, you would like to help out a charity and get some fun D&D uh, DM's Guild stuff, go check that out. Yeah. Uh, the next bit of news is the new Unearthed Arcana that we talked about last week. The Sorcerer uh, Bloodline and... Well, it's not Bloodline, I guess. Well, the Sorcerer thing and the uh, Warlock Patron is now available on D- uh, D&D Beyond. All right. Putting those up as fast as I can. Yes. <laughs> so you can go on there and make mm-hmm. your uh, your new fun people. I actually had at the bookstore game, uh, one player actually show up with the new monk. Yeah. Yeah. It- um, I think... Evan did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so uh, they're already taking advantage of the stuff, and I and I love it. Yes. I'm like, yes, <laughs> I love these new new things. You got to mm-hmm. you got to use them. Uh, the last bit of news we have is that the um, and I talked about this, or we talked about this a while ago. The Idol Champions take this uh, charity that they're doing, where you buy the familiar for ten dollars, mm-hmm. and the proceeds go to take this. Uh, they raised thirteen thousand dollars, and that's so amazing. Yes, seriously, so good. Um, so freaking great job! If you went out there and bought that because you listened to us, or just because you saw it on Twitter, mm-hmm. awesome job! Uh, that is a lot of money to raise for that. Yeah. Um. All right, moving over into dungeon keeping. <gasps> There's dungeon keeping. There's dungeon keeping. <laughs> we don't have a cool like little like. Segway song. <laughs> Do we need one? I don't know. I don't so. uh, first off, I was on Respawn Aim Fire this week. Yeah. And stuff happened. <laughs> That's a great way to sum it up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, last week, and this is not quite D&D news, but there was a Nintendo uh, Direct, and I love Nintendo stuff. So I talked to Chad Holden, and they had me on. And there's about an hour and a half podcast up right now where we're talking about video games and extremely dumb stuff and Chad says things that makes me facepalm a lot. <laughs> Love you, Chad. Um, and uh, also worth mentioning, uh, if it's something you're interested in, uh, when they have guests on, they let them have a topic. And I decided to talk about podcasting. So we actually talked about how this one got started, how theirs got started, and I asked them like what they recommended for people who want to start their own. Mm-hmm. So there's a nice little, uh, nice little piece of uh, advice on podcasting inside that uh, garbage can on fire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the last bit of dungeon keeping we have is um, we're thinking about doing a YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, we've been throwing this around for a little while. We have a couple ideas, but I thought it'd be a good idea to ask you, the listeners, what you would want out of a YouTube channel of Allie and I. Certainly. Um, like I said, we've thrown around a few ideas. We're not going to talk about them right now um, because we're still, you know, ironing out what would work and what we want to do. But at the same time, I want to know what you guys would like to see us do. Yeah. (laughs) Because we could make stuff for ourselves all day. It doesn't mean anybody's going to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, send those in uh, to us on Twitter at Difficulty Class or at our email, difficultyclass at gmail.com oh my god i almost mm-hmm. forgot it for a second I'm, I'm off my i shouldn't be hosting today <laughs> i screwed up the intro how many times and didn't even get it right that time i'm having a rough one uh all right well that is all the news and dungeon keeping that we have and our first topic is Allie's topic yeah um i wanted to talk about how i've heard it a lot on twitter and on other places as well recently where 
uh, how ability scores are tied into race, uh, mm-hmm. especially in D&D. And that's the case in a lot of role-playing games as well, tabletop ones in particular. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of bled into other mediums too, like in video games and movies and such like that. Oh, that's relevant for later. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's kind of like, I kind of wanted to talk about it today because there it kind of ties into one of our previous topics about uh, the uncomfortable topics and how to approach them and such and if you should have them in your game. Mm-hmm. Um, the concept of racism is kind of a huge thing in mm-hmm. D&D um, yep. and in vanilla straight up player's handbook, it kind of just straight up says, oh yeah, these guys are bad. These guys are bad. These guys are good. These guys tend to bad. And it's like, but what if I wanted to play a half-orc wizard who wanted to help people? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're going against the status quo. And d- do you have to, though? Is like that really a concept that uh, should be approached in a base role-playing game? And, and well, to be fair, like, that is kind of the beauty of homebrewing your mm-hmm. own world and stuff, is that you can go like, oh, no, drow are like upstanding citizens. Exactly. Like, they're fine. Yeah. And... Even though, like, Drow would be upstanding citizens in any kind of homebrew world that you could dream of, the thing is, though, is that Drow are going to be good at decks. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah. And it's like, if I wanted to make, or half-orcs, you can make them as good as you like, but they're always going to be good at strength-based classes. And that's where it kind of, like, it... It, it makes it that way if you did want to make something that was against the grain, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you end up with a class with a character that is, what's the word, when it's like not optimized. Yeah. And power to you. If you want to make a non-optimized character, you can. You can make one straight out the gate. But the problem where it gets to is when you're playing with a full party of optimized characters. Yeah. Well, like, um, my friend Kyle's first character in 4th edition was a dragonborn wizard. Yeah. And literally the book advised against doing everything but that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, they were just like, you you shouldn't, don't. You, sh- you shouldn't You should do be this. a sorcerer. And yeah. he's like, I don't want to be a I don't sorcerer. want to be a sorcerer. Yeah. And it, it really kind of ends up going from, like, all these huge, vast ranges of opportunities of play into narrowing it down to, well, how many classes are there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if there's eight classes, well, you've got like eight or ten options to yeah. choose from if you want to play the game, quote, well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's debatable itself. But the optimization of it. And I know a lot of people will say like, oh, well, an optimized character is a character that you're going to have fun playing with. But in reality, like I've seen it. Like, it's funny enough. Like, um, I mean, I would oh, I'm personally... I'm not saying that people haven't said that. I'm just saying yeah. my opinion is... Mm. No, an optimized character is one where you can pull out the most damage per second or the most support per second as per your character's class would do. Healing example, you know, all that. But when it's tied to race, you're left with so little options as far mm-hmm. as what you want to do. Like, if you want to be a support, you only have three options. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just also narrowing it down to spells. But today we're talking about race. Yeah. So I want to talk about like, have you ever done, because I know you mentioned it before, I think it was even last episode, about how you've recently started doing the racial attributes. No, I haven't done that one. Um, what I've done to like let my players you know, be a little bit cooler mm-hmm. is give them feats at level one. That's another one that we can talk about another yeah. time. Um, but no, it's one of those things where like I heard this, I saw this on Twitter a couple weeks ago or something like that. 
And it was weird because I, I looked at it first. So I'm like, well, yeah, of course that's how it is. And then I thought about it a little bit more. And went, wait, that actually makes no sense. Yeah. And and I and I did kind of go down this rabbit hole in my head. I was just like, why can't there just be like an intelligent drow? Yeah. Why can't there be like a strong drow or you know I, I don't know why I'm sticking on drow right now, but it's stuck in my head. Um, well, drow and, are like one of the most quintessential like dexterous rogue yeah. class. And but like the more you think about it, it's just like I know this is a this is a game. This is fantasy land. But at the same time, you know there is. A slight argument for realism, and I know that's what the Pathfinder uh, people possibly <laughs> listening to this think about a lot. Yeah. Um, but when you get down to it, it's like I'm I'm a white dude. Mm-hmm. There is literally, n- if I was to make my character sheet, <laughs> there's no bonus I would have like on my attributes for being a white dude, and, and there might be some negatives. <laughs> probably a lot of negatives. <laughs> Um, but that's more of a personal dexterity. choice yeah, than a race choice. That is fair. Like I, because I'm white, it's not because of the reason why I'm heavy set. It's, it's <laughs> not a racial attribute. In life. <laughs> yeah. So like, there, like if I was like, you're born and you start standing out that kid, it's like, oh, he's white. Mm, give him a negative two charisma. <laughs> <laughs> like, and that is kind of weird too, because like they do give negatives yeah. for your race. Yeah. And that's weird. Like, when you really start to think about it, it's like, wait a minute. So, because he's a dwarf, he's less than this? Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, that the argument could be is just like, oh, well, he's a dwarf. You know, they're, they're stout and what. I'm like, yeah, but what if he's trained his whole life to be a rogue? Then that no longer makes sense. Yeah. Just because he's a dwarf doesn't mean he can't train himself to do this. I mean, like, consider the concept of backgrounds in D&D. That's supposed to be, like, the number one way you can, like, characterize your single character. You can really customize it. Mm -hmm. And yet it really doesn't make that much difference into the main bulk of how your character is played, which is the ability scores. Mm -hmm. All they really attribute to are the skills. Yeah. Which, granted, a dwarf with the urchin background can have a non-negative stealth score that's true but if i make him do a deck save he's a screwed man he's a screwed man <laughs> because apparently naturally yeah yeah um i remember reading that someone did the math where if you took standard array and you wanted to be a half orc and you wanted to be a half orc wizard i think the most amount of spells you could prepare in a day if you did the best you could with your standard array would be three it was like some stupid low number like that. Yeah. So it's like looking at that and it's like try to tell me that there are that there aren't optimized like non-optimized classes yeah. in D&D because obviously there there's that kind of issue. And <laughs> and like I I don't remember if I said this on the show or it was just to you or someone recently but like I do agree with the thought that not oh but it was no it wasn't about race it was about class not all classes should be balanced yeah like and and i agree with that like yeah there should be things that make one class better but like i i remember when fifth edition came out one of my friends said it uh if you're playing a rogue it makes zero sense to be anything but a halfling like that just doesn't make (laughs) sense and i looked at him and went what if I just didn't want to? <laughs> I know. I, what if I want to tell a different story? <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I think that's okay. Just because the ability to have a broken character mm-hmm. 
is there doesn't mean you have to take that path. It's yeah. not like a video game where, like, oh, uh, in Destiny, the Crucible is being destroyed by auto rifles right now, and Destiny fans right now are laughing at that because they're <laughs> not, and they're really sad, and I wish they would come back. Uh, that's another topic. Uh, but, like, with classes, I think it's okay because you don't, if you're just playing the same character every campaign, every game, and everything like that, that's your deal, I guess. If yeah. That's what you want out of it. But the, my argument is, like, as a DM, you can totally counter that, but it's mostly the other players that are like, oh, cool, he's just going to run in and do 40 damage as a third-level character. We'll just hang back here. Yeah. And so that's, in itself, is where these non-optimized class race builds become not necessarily yeah. a problem, but problematic. Yeah. is because you can no longer have the same amount of fun as you would have if you're playing with that min-maxer, mm -hmm. if you're playing with someone who is a halfling rogue and you wanted to be a Goliath rogue. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Hey, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, a Goliath rogue is a really cool concept. And like... I, I swear to God, if it weren't for us playing on D&D Beyond, I would say that Kyle was cheating. Because I don't know how <laughs> he gets the numbers he does sometimes. <laughs> and it's like... That's like such the non-optimized concept where if you did have a Stark very much optimized role mm -hmm. in there, it, it would just kind of make you feel moot. Like it yeah. would make you feel redundant. And that is not as fun as it can be because I've been there where mm -hmm. you're like, why did I build this class? Yeah. Like I just helped one of my players rebuild her entire character, who's like a 14th level character, by the way, because she felt redundant. Yeah. Because the way the party has morphed itself, the way it's kind of grown... Um, she started out as like a Healy bard and that didn't pan out because someone made a level one cleric multi-class bard. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, Ugh, he does all healing better now. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to be a support. Well, then the artificer now with the new artificer updates is a way better support. So she's like, uh, what do I do now? <laughs> I'm only a bard. I can only change one spell at a time. So I went in with her and we worked everything. Now she's a control bard yeah. as she should be. And she's having a lot more fun, but like, if you're that non-optimized thing and you're and people who are optimized are playing with you, you just feel so weak. Yeah. And that's like the best word I can use for so, it. So I know in my head what I thought up for this. What is your solution to this? I've been toying with the idea. I've been talking to my boyfriend for a while about it. And oh, also I need to mention because he uh, pointed it out. Last episode, we talked about some of the best things that we got from D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. um, he said, hey, I know something that you didn't mention. <laughs> I met Spencer through role-playing games. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, my lovely boyfriend of over three and a half years. Um, I love you, Spencer. Um, <laughs> yeah, I definitely got him through D&D, &D, so there's that. <laughs> That's an aside. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> But we've talked about it, and I've thrown around the the idea that take away ability scores entirely from the race building concept, mm -hmm. because it's just it makes you again stick to either one or two options. I mean, like even if you look at the step by step chapter one in Player's Handbook mm -hmm. tells you just a simple like oh ability score summary, and they tell you strength, and they give you four options for strength, dexterity four options for dexterity and even like wisdom there's only three options for if you want a high wisdom and only one of those none of those are plus two mm -hmm. so it's like how are you going to make that optimized uh wisdom based class if none of them are plus two mm -hmm. and you look at all these other classes and it's like uh 
well, I have a lot of options in dexterity. Where, what about what about wisdom? So it's like taking away the ability score increase in races and allowing you to choose what you like. The one hitch we get to over and over again when we're talking about this is humans. Because humans have that variant human where you get the feet. <laughs> and, and so it's like instead of the plus one all around, uh, you can choose the regular like oh you get plus two to something and then you get the feet mm -hmm. so it's like that one gets coming back to it saying like ah but if humans get that why isn't that an option for like everyone else which is where i kind of think your concept of just like giving everyone at first level yeah is awesome because that brings more options to the table which is something that i know people who have played other games complain about dnd 5e is that like like ike for example he was saying one of his biggest complaints about 5e is that his like customization options are limited mm -hmm. and that's true to a point and so it's like especially for ike who wants to play optimized characters his options are limited he only has like six choices and so i think going about it this way would kind of almost give a relief yeah. to the game itself to where you can expand the entire game and so that that's at least been my concept is just taking it away entirely and just saying you choose because then standard array would also not be a problem either because mm -hmm. then you could just put it in wherever you want <laughs> um the the i will say this on the the feats part the main reason why i like giving players mm -hmm. um feats at level one is one it's cool you yeah. can, like i like the idea that you can be mr cool person yeah. At level one, because you're an adventurer. You're the main character. Be exactly. Cool. You're an adventurer. You're yeah. not a commoner CR0. <laughs> the other one is I like to give them a little taste of feats so that when that ability score bonus comes around, it makes that, uh, that decision a little bit harder. Yeah. Because yeah, I love feats. So much so that I've built level 20 characters and never upped their ability scores. Oh, yeah. Because I'm like, nope, I want this feat. I want this feat. I want this feat. I want this feat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been there. I mean, like, it really depends on what kind of character you want to make. Mm-hmm. Because if you want to have a keen mind character who is really alert and so that way their passive perception is, God, what is it now, Spencer? 29? Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, that can happen. But yep. <laughs> Well, my idea for this is detach them from race, which is the whole topic title, mm -hmm. but reattach them to classes. Oh, okay. And this slightly comes from a game called Dungeon Crawl Classics. Mm-hmm. Because in that one, you there's I think there's only two races to pick from, but when you pick that race, that's your class. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then the other classes are also classes. The game gets really weird. Yeah. But like you could say I'm an elf, but I'm a fighter. But the class is what gives you your bonuses. Right. And I think that makes a lot more sense because then you do have the thing where, um, okay, I want to be a Goliath rogue. I'm a Goliath that has trained all his life to be a rogue, a rogue. So that's why I'm getting this plus two to dex. Now, the thing is that I do agree with having negatives to uh, at, uh, attributes because it does make sense in some regards. Mm -hmm. So I think that all, some if not all, the classes should also come with a negative where it's like, okay, you're a wizard. You get plus two to intelligence and a negative one to uh, a physical stat of your choice. Right. So you could choose to take that to strength, con, or dex. 
um, and, you know, doing stuff like that where, like, if you're a fighter, it's like you get a, a plus two to strength, plus one to con, and a negative two to an intelligence stat. Okay. Some, or mental stat. You uh, Like, something like that. Yeah. And I think doing that would be more thematic but and also give you that choice that I know a lot of players are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, with the human, just get rid of both of them. Yeah. Like, uh, just, both the variant just, and the regular. Yeah, just kick it right out. And, like, me personally, I would just keep giving people feet so it wouldn't be a problem for me. But, yeah, if you were to switch over to this, yeah, just kick out both of the humans. And personally, I have hated the freaking human stuff in pathfinder D and all that sort of like the humans are the most versatile i'm like humans suck yeah i mean like that's oh that was what it came coming back to because i i just remembered right now if you take away the ability score increase to mm-hmm. humans there's nothing for humans yeah. Whereas if you look at half forks, they have the thing where if they go down to zero hit points, they go up to one instead. Mm-hmm. Tieflings get natural spells and dark vision. Dwarves get like all these really yeah. cool things. And then it's like, and then you look at humans and they literally get so, nothing aside from the ability scores. So if you feel like, you know, you want to do something like this and you still want the human to get something, you could just keep the the feet at yeah. level one, which in my opinion is more OP than everything else anyone else yeah. is getting. But it's an option there just to let the humans be a little bit different. Yeah. Because uh, And the other thing I like about this is that for me, because I, again, love feats, I pretty much only make human characters in 5th edition because I want that feat. Yeah. And I think that's what Ike said too, the, mm-hmm. the optimizer guy that we're talking about, yeah. is that I remember the last time when we did play Curse of Strahd with him, he's like, oh, I chose human. Why? Because yeah. that feat. Yeah. <laughs> and I think later I gave everyone feats and he's like, what? <laughs> yeah, it, was like, it was like at level three of that game that I decided to give you guys mm-hmm. feats. Um, but yeah, I, I think doing something along those lines would fix it. Um, there, you know, there's been those rumblings of D&D 5.5. Yeah, or Here even D and D six, where it, yeah. it addresses this. I don't think it's gonna be six. But, no, it's gonna uh, be very, very same, but different. <laughs> yeah, um, I think this would be one of the things that might get addressed in it. I like yeah. if there's one thing I know it's gonna get addressed, it's probably bonus actions. But yeah, uh, yeah, bonus I can... actions, initiative, and maybe race abilities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, I I think this might be something that they they look at in that. I mean, like especially. As a, I guess a final note on this topic is how they address character creation because chapter one of Player's Handbook is how to create your character. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever looked at like the step-by-step process of it. When they make Brunor? Yeah. yeah. Um, but like literally step one, you choose your race. But then step two, you choose your class. And within that second step, they tell you what race would be best for the class. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you already have a character in mind because yep. that's what they asked you to do. And so if you already had that that tiefling in mind and then you're like well i want to be a fighter now you're kind of like uh wait but it doesn't say that tieflings are good at strength or dex um yeah (laughs) and so it's like in itself and how they go about it i I think that's something they majorly need to address because i mean it's not until the fourth step where they say describe your character yeah (laughs) well and and i i've said it on previous episodes that i think if you're gonna teach someone how to play D &D, you should give them a pre-made character sheet and play yeah. the game first so that they know what the hell those numbers mean. Yeah, because, I mean, like, the quick start build, mm-hmm. those are probably the best thing to teach people how to play with. 
and then to teach people how to build a character they already know what's important to a character so then from there it's easier but yeah that i i agree where if they are going to go into a 5.5 so to speak that definitely the ability will be something that they address Mm -hmm. well if you want some more advice on how to address this topic why don't we look at our dm's guild spotlight yeah um okay so bear with me as i try to pronounce this um (laughs) grazalax's guide to ancestry there are two x's in that name yeah um it is a really neat uh dm's guild spotlight for our this week um it is by realm warp media um it's actually a best silver seller so we're not like tooting a indie maker's horn here but they're they're indie they're indie yeah um but it's actually a really neat thing i kind of looked into it i haven't bought it yet but i i'm telling you right now that i probably will um it provides a new and innovative way to use race uh, and that's in quotes in your 5e games no longer do you need to settle for the restrictive language of race and tethered ability score increases so it's like as if we uh we have this all tied in together to our our topic today (laughs) um but it pretty much it provides a lot. It removes the race restrictions and instead gives characters a customizable ancestry. Um, and so that essentially you go heavy on the background concept and you can choose your ability scores based on your ancestry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows you how to do it for all of the races, uh, not just like in the player's handbook, but for Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, Evil, Elemental Evil, Sword Coast Adventures, Volo's Guide, etc. Et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Even in Ravnica too. So it's like, and the, and the last one turtles as well <laughs> so it has an options for all of those races that way you don't feel like you're restricted to just the ability scores that those races are inherently tied to i actually just realized it says in here removes ability score increases from ancestry slash race with options to place them using modified distribution backgrounds mm-hmm. classes or feats so yeah uh, I, they might have something in there like what i'm talking about similar to a point by system oh, okay um but it is also thematic which is something that I really enjoy. So if you're agreeing with us and kind of nodding your head this entire time to, yes, yes, I believe they should uh, remove the tied down ability to race concept, then check out Grazalax's Guide to Ancestry. I believe right now it is $12.95, but I think they even have a link for a they cheaper do. version as in well. The, in the description, there is to show our appreciation to the D&D community. We're offering every customer $3 off. Click here for the discount. Yeah, so... It's more like we're offering this discount to people who read. <laughs> It's worth it to read. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely go check it out. Uh, I couldn't recommend it more. It sounds like it'd be a perfect thing. I'm going to go check it out and test it probably after we do this because mm-hmm. it sounds awesome. Nice. All right. Well, once again, that is Zach's Guide to Ancestry. <laughs> uh, let's spell that out for you. It's G-R-A-Z-I-L-A-X-X apostrophe S Guide to Ancestry. Mm-hmm. And that is by Realm Warp Media, Adam Hancock, and Laura Harsburner. That is a cool name. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, go check that out. Purchase it if you like it. Maybe let them know that we sent them your way. Yeah, like usual, we'll provide a link when we re- release this episode. Indubitably. Good word. Uh, <laughs> but moving on to the second topic of today. It's yes. actually kind of a fun one. D&D video games. Oh, we're cool. We're hip. <laughs> check out this Nintendo 64. No longer using the processor of the mind. Now moving into 64-bit. <laughs> oh, whoa, it's the future. I'm going to stop that. I don't know where that voice came from. It should go away. Um, yeah, so kind of on topic, uh, the Baldur's Gate games are being released on the Switch this month. So excited. 
Yes, so, uh, let's see, I got this uh, article over at Newsweek, of all places. Uh, The Baldur's Gate Enhanced Edition pack includes both the original and its sequel, plus all the DLCs, including the Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragonspear expansion, uh, created in 2016 to bridge the first and second games. Originally developed by BioWare, makers of Mass Effect and Dragon Age. Right. The Baldur's Gate series is based on the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition rules and is set in the Forgotten Realms. Uh, so these games are coming out on the 26th, I believe. Oh, sorry. 27th of September. Yes. Nice. Uh, and, uh, at the same day, the, uh, Planescape Torment and Icewind Dale, both the enhanced editions, uh, are going to release at the, on the same day. And then in, on December 6th, Neverwinter Nights Enhanced Edition is going to be released on the Switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I, okay, it is worth mentioning. They are released on the PS4 and the Xbox as well. <laughs> um, it's worth it to me. Hey, it's, worth, it's <laughs> real to me, dude. Um, so, yeah, because of that, and this got announced back in June, and I may have even mentioned it on Dungeon Drive or something, but I was jumping up and down at my desk when yeah. I saw this come through. And I am so freaking excited. I know there's people out there who are like, it's not going to be as good as it was on PC. Go play TurboTax. Um, <laughs> so I'm excited that this is coming to console. And because it is, I thought it'd be a good time to actually talk about D&D and video games. Yeah. And to my surprise, holy shit, there's a lot of games. Yeah, my surprise as well. I was kind of expecting like, oh, a few, but no, there's a... So just alone on console, uh, mo- like uh, uh, Game Boy, stuff like that, and PC, there are 77 games. 77. 77, the first of which was released in 1988 called Pool of Radiance. And like, this thing was released on the Amiga. Like... This oh. thing is old school, and I love it. Uh, like, I, I had fun going through all these. I'm like, I want to play this. I want to do this <laughs> on my computer right now, and I want to play this. Um, actually, there I did find that they ported one of these games. The, this one made in 1990 by Westwood Studios, Eye of the Beholder. Ooh. They re-released it on Game Boy Advance in the mid-2000s. Oh. And I you can get a copy on GameStop.com for 15 bucks, and I might do it. <laughs> And the style of that one is, like, you have a little window that shows you the dungeon you're walking through, and you Mm -hmm. just press forward, and then you've got your four adventurers, and you get to pick which attack they do when you come up to something. Um, It's like the the new, well, recently new, um, Legends of Grimlock, I think it's called. Okay. It's it's these dungeon crawl style, and the... I've, to my memory, D and D games were at like the forefront of these, where like you would walk through a dungeon and it would be like this weird two D three D look to it, and you would fight whatever you come up against and try to survive. Yeah. Um. And yeah, I'm really tempted to get that on my Game Boy. But <laughs> so there's been a lot of them, and that's not even including the mobile games. There's been a lot of mobile games to my absolute surprise. Mm-hmm. Like there was Dungeons and Dragons Arena of War. In 2013, I was playing D&D then, and I didn't know about I this. Didn't, I haven't heard a single thing about that. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, and then there was, uh, they ported the Lords of Waterdeep board game into a mobile game. Uh, I did hear about that, yeah. Then, of course, there's Idle Champions. Uh, <laughs> Go play it. Yep. Uh, Tales from Candlekeep, Tomb of Annihilation. I don't quite know why that one is on the other section, because I'm like, that's like a mainline PC game. Uh, and then there's Warriors of Waterdeep, which released this year. Um, but so we haven't played all of these. 
Right. God, we couldn't even come. No. I, I, I um, couldn't come close to playing all yeah, of these. Yeah, confession. I haven't played any of the Baldur's Gate or Neverwinter Nights or anything like that. I was playing... The most dungeon game I ever played was Dungeon Keeper 2. Um, Audience, I did not know this before I had her on the podcast. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and I missed out on all of those nostalgia games, which is one of the reasons why I'm really excited about the new Baldur's Gate releasing and re-release because mm-hmm. I get to play it now. <laughs> I, For me, like I had always heard about Baldur's Gate as just this really good PC game. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't actually fused into me playing D&D because I was always playing these homebrew places that I was that I found out that Baldur's Gate was a D&D game. And I went, excuse me? <laughs> and like I dove into it and I love these games. They're so much fun. And but they do come with a learning curve because, as you may have noticed, when I read that Newsweek article, they are based on Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Second Edition. Hey, D and D. Yes, because that was what was around in 1998 when it was released. Mm-hmm. So you get introduced to things like having a negative AC being a good thing, or the, your your Thacko score, oh, boy. Uh, or how spells work, or that you can only be. Uh, what is it? There's there's a restriction to being a paladin that's crazy. Like I know you have to be lawful good, but like there, I think only humans can be paladins or something like that. Huh? Yeah. There's some weird, crazy stuff in there, and so like you get in there and you're like, okay, you're saying words I understand, but in in sentences that don't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're a lot of fun, and coming to the Switch, like, I, or, and the other consoles, like, I, I highly recommend trying these out, especially Neverwinter Nights. Mm-hmm. Neverwinter Nights is so... So, the the four that are coming out this month, they are uh, called CRPGs, which is just computer role-playing games. Role-playing game. games, instead like, of the tabletop RPGs. Yeah, I'm like, that's, that's still kind of vague. Um, <laughs> but they have a top-down look to them with... Uh, most of the time pre-rendered backgrounds and you have your party and you it's kind of like an RTS you select them and tell them where to go and uh, you pause the combat tell people who to attack and where to go it's kind of like a turn by turn base no I would not call it it. if you if you pause it at the right time if you were able to catch it between every turn I would be amazed (laughs) Uh, because yeah when you first start combat it is just absolute chaos (laughs) and like that's that is one thing that did take some getting used to because it doesn't feel like D and D in the combat because you aren't rolling initiative, you aren't going turn by it's turn. It's more video game, sort of like it is more RTS because it's just like everybody just freaking goes hog wild and starts attacking. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have played Knights of the Old Republic, this might sound familiar to you. Reason being is because Knights of the Old Republic was uh, Bioware's game after Neverwinter Nights. Yeah. And it, those games are very similar. Neverwinter Nights has a little bit of a further back camera. It's not quite over the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if you play Neverwinter Nights and you've played Knights of the Old Republic, you're like, I'm getting strong flashbacks yeah. right now. So something that I uh, found out as I was kind of looking into this today was that uh, D&D actually published the Roll20 system in 2000. Mm-hmm. And so all of these games that pretty much came after the A&D, the AD&D concept were Roll20 games. One of those being the Knights of the Old Republic, yep. one and two. And I remember telling you, like, 
I actually didn't understand how to play Knights of the Old Republic until after I played D&D. Yeah, because it, it's a Star Wars D&D game. It's, <laughs> the entire game is D&D, but with just the computer rolling the dice for you. <clears throat> yep. And it even tells you, like, oh, roll a stealth check. Yeah, no, like, if you go into the description of your skills, it's like, to lockpick, go up to the door, uh, select it, uh, roll a security check. And, I, and, like, I know I read that in 2004. Yeah. And I don't know why I didn't go, what do you mean roll? roll. I just read it and went, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, like, oh, roll meaning randomize? Yeah. And so I just kind of equated the two, the two words to, mm-hmm. oh, okay, this is just me pressing the A button. And knowing that it's based on 3.5, it totally explains why as I go up in levels, like, suddenly my lightsaber hits for, like, plus 40. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, like, literally everything scales the exact same way that D&D mm-hmm. does. And I didn't realize that until I replayed the game just, like, two years ago. And I'm all like, oh, wait. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. just D&D in space. <laughs> Um, we'll go over some more games that are based on this, on the D&D idea later on, but, uh, let's talk about some games that we have both played and Mm -hmm. really, I think that just comes down to two of them. (laughs) Sorry. Um, (laughs) let's talk about the one that, uh, we haven't talked people's ear off at length about first, uh, which is Neverwinter. Oh, I could talk your ear off. Um, so it's the second well actually no i'm sorry i believe it's actually the third mmo mm-hmm. there was uh there was an mmo a long time ago that i can't find right now um that they did for D, and it was one of those like old very old school i think it might have actually been a mud uh but the second one was Dungeons and Dragons Online. Yeah. With their imaginative <laughs> titling. <laughs> and I actually played that one. Really? It was not very good. Okay. <laughs> uh, I remember playing it for about three hours and I turned to Tara and went, I haven't felt the D&D yet. <laughs> Where is my D&D? <laughs> um, it kind of felt like I was just playing low-res, non-cartoony World of Warcraft. Oh. But then came along Neverwinter. Mm-hmm. Just Neverwinter, like share. Yeah. Um, and it was released on June 20th, 2013 from Cryptic Studios. It was originally only on PC, mm-hmm. but it has since made its way to Xbox One and PS4. Yeah. Uh, and you and I have played the majority of our time on Xbox One. Oh, yeah. Now, why don't you take it away <laughs> and talk these kind listeners here off about Neverwinter. So I'm going to be first upfront about it. And Neverwinter did just go through a major overhaul um, where it kind of shifted all of the classes and it shifted. I think it even took away and added a couple of classes as well. So the Neverwinter that I'm most familiar with is actually just before this update that happened, I think, um, just a few months ago. Uh, mostly because I've been busy. But before this update happened, I could not tell you how many hours I've sunk into that game. Um, it's based off of fourth edition concepts. Um, very much the entire game plays like fourth edition D and D. So you're going to be rolling up an MMO character and they're going to be asking for paragon paths. They're going to be asking for like, Oh, if you want to be a warlock, cool. Here's your pact blade. And so it's like, it, it was a really neat game and it actually allowed you to go through all the modules. That was the really neat thing about Neverwinter Mm -hmm. is that they released all of the modules onto the game. I got to play through Storm King's Thunder 
in a video game. Yeah. And that is the coolest thing. It actually gave me a lot of inspiration for my own game, which I used relentlessly. <laughs> and it, we even got to play through Tomb of Annihilation in the video game. And there's even like the, the major dungeon is the actual mm-hmm. Tomb of Annihilation. And they have Curse of Strahd. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just added Undermountain. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, God. Oh, they, the, they actually did Tyranny of Dragons. The Elemental uh, Evil. Elemental Evil. Storm King's Thunder, like you said. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've run a Tiamat dungeon, and I've oh, took they, her they down. Oh, they Rage of Demons. Yeah. Uh, with, oh, uh, yeah. With you can, I've taken down Demogorgon uh, several that's, times. That's so cool. Yeah. And it's really neat, because they also have all these side stories with characters you're super familiar with, or if not familiar with, can fall in love with, because mm-hmm. they very much fill in the voices, too. Like, I've straight up done huge adventures with Brunor Battlehammer, by my side because I'm not an MMO player. I play by myself. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> with no one with me other than Brunor and Drist, who's like, oh yeah, let's just That's go out so there. Cool. And then they combine these characters in ways that you usually wouldn't be able to get if you were just playing a video game. Like Minsk is there and he hangs out with you and Drist. And Drist is like, hey, Minsk, uh, how are you here? And Minsk is like, ah, to fight evil. And Drist is like, no, 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 no. You died. How are you here? <laughs> and of course, Minsk doesn't give an answer because yep. he doesn't do that. I am Minsk. I, I am here to fight evil. And it really kind of shows you. And there was like a moment where I straight up cried because one of my favorite characters died in one of my favorite modules. Oh, my God. And I was like, why am I crying at an MMO right now? This is ridiculous. <laughs> but I did because I was so attached to these Faerun-based characters, Mm -hmm. so much so that they're very much a big NPCs in my own game at home. Like, I just introduced Zuna, um, the rogue of the Neverwinter Vanguard, Mm -hmm. you know? I just introduced her, and my entire party loves her. They're they're all like, she's so cool, I want to be her. (laughs) Well, I I loved uh, loved when you and I were playing, because, like, you played this way more than I did. Yeah. And... (laughs) Like, you were helping me through some stuff, and you were like, oh, go talk to that NPC over there. He's pretty cool. And I walk over, it's fucking Minsk. Yeah. And I just go, oh, my God, it's Minsk. You got the power. Oh, my God. And you're like, are, okay, are you all right? I'm just like, it's, it's Minsk. And he shows up, little boo, yeah. squeaks. And I started freaking out. She's like, how do you, what, do you know from the books? I'm like, he's in the, he's in the Baldur's Gate. I love him. Oh, my God, he's mm-hmm. my boy. So it's like, you got all these Arya Salvatore characters and everything. Like, all of them are in there. You've got Caterbury. You've got Wolfgar. You've got all of them in this game. And mm-hmm. it's all in one's place. Yep. And it's all free. <laughs> so now that you've gushed about it, I'm going to give you some warnings, dear listener. Yeah. This is a free-to-play game. Yes. Which is cool and it's great. It is also a free-to-play game. Yes. There are monetizations all over the place. Uh, there's at least, I think, 12 different currencies in the game. Yes. At least. And also, you are going to have these lockboxes drop all the time. Constantly. And if you want to open any of them, you got to pay money. Or you could just hoard them and then sell them in the you know the auction at a later date for a lot of money. And I do that <laughs> on accident. <laughs> because I'm like, I don't really... Because like, they're not... I So I'm, I'm going to say this. I, I do love uh, Cryptic Studios. I love Neverwinter. But the lockboxes are not worth it, in my opinion. They no, don't give you enough good stuff very no. often to warrant me giving them as much money as they're asking for to open even one of them. Yeah, I will agree with you there. The only good thing um, 
Like the I, the VIP system only gets better ooh, once you've paid five months into it. To be I'll honest, I'll get to that one. Yeah. Uh, if they did something like Destiny, where like every time, like after you hit max level in Destiny, I can't believe I brought up Destiny twice in one podcast. <laughs> hey, the, happy five year anniversary! The itch is back. <laughs> um, every time you level up after max level, you get a uh, cosmetic Ingram. Yeah. And you get to open it and you get stuff out of it that normally you'd have to pay for. And I kind of wish that Neverwinter would adopt something like that where after you hit max level, you got stuff like that when you level. Instead, it's just gear score. And that is going to segue into my next thing is gear score. Gear score is a dreaded thing. Now, understandably, the way they've updated the game, I believe gear score has been heavily skewed to where it's not so, like, crazy anymore. Because in order to play all these very wonderful modules that we all know and love, like Ravenloft or Mm -hmm. Tomb of Annihilation, you first have to go through the very beginning which is like elemental evil which is straight out the oh, gate oh no no the, the the beginning you have to hit max level which doesn't touch any module like you can oh, yeah. you can theoretically do some of this stuff like in the areas but you're just playing through neverwinter base to hit max level yeah which is like pretty much i think elemental evil is actually level 60 through 70 and so That's you, right, you can raise, that was the it, one yeah. module that you can play yeah. to get to max level and then after that it's uh the Feywild. Yeah. And then after that, it's Storm King's Thunder. But at Storm King's Thunder, you suddenly can't play by yourself. You have to run through these dungeons like Tiamat mm-hmm. eight times in a row in yeah. order to get one thing that you only realize is outdated and will give you not enough good gear score to even set foot in Chult. Yeah. Remember when we set foot in Chult? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, and then a, a giant crab killed me. And then uh, the tiny, tiny dinosaurs then killed the me. Tiny dinosaurs killed you. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We were on a beach. Tiny dinosaurs came up and killed you. You screamed. I looked to my left, and a giant crab <laughs> came out of the ocean and killed me. And then we looked at the recommended very... gear score, and it yeah. was seven thousand over what we had. And it was like the whole reason I started playing the game was because I'm like, oh, you put Chult in there. Like I'm obsessed with Tomb of Annihilation yeah. right now. I want to play it. And so like I grind. <laughs> 70 levels in two weeks and so the the gotcha part of all this is that you can go in and jump in and play ravenloft right now if you buy the ravenloft starter set um first of all it levels you up to level 70 like instantly Mm -hmm. if you just play like the intro mission second of all it gives you gear already at that level Mm -hmm. and so you can spend dump in 40 bucks to just go play yeah the starter kits are really expensive and but they have all the gear scores to where you can play all the modules before that one like you Mm. can go in if you buy the starter kit for undermountain you can play all the modules before that by yourself too yeah and and i mean that's not bad because like when you look at it it's a free-to-play game you put in 40 dollars and you pay the price of a game and you get five games in it yeah it's not that terrible but it still does have the mmo thing in it yeah. uh i'm gonna cut us off there because we could talk way too long about that I think like we've i said given, i could <laughs> i think we've gotten a good and bad side to neverwinter check it out it's free just you yeah. get in there and you're fighting valindra and neverwinter it's, it's great. so cool especially that opening cinematic mm-hmm. just look at it it's so cool <laughs> um so let's see uh the other one of course is idle champions yeah and idle champions is a great idle game that you know that we love and talk about but mm-hmm. if you don't know what it is... This is actually perfect timing. Hector li- Reyes 
as we were talking, sent in a question about, can you tell us what Idol Champions is? No kidding. And he says, you mentioned it a lot on the podcast, but could you explain what it is for us viewers who aren't aware of it? It sounds like fun. Oh my gosh. You have the timing of, what has good timing? You rolled a really high initiative. (laughs) There's a good joke. Way to go, Hector. Yeah. Okay, so I literally have Idol Champions up on my phone right now. (laughs) Oh, you nerd. Because I was like, hey, it's a Pokemon. So Idol Champions. (laughs) Uh, it is uh, a game made by oh my gosh I know it's code something I need to open it right now I feel really bad because code name uh, is it code name yeah okay good because they're they're like the person that runs the studio follows me so I feel bad now they couldn't mm. remember nothing oh man <laughs> um, and this game like we said recently was um, released two years ago it's still technically in beta yeah funny enough um, it is free to play but I will say that it's free-to-play uh, monetizations are so much nicer. So good. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I I have put a lot of money into this game <laughs> You've twice. also <laughs> played it on different systems and such, yeah. too. So. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now strictly on, on, on mobile. I, I've been like, nope, I'm here now. This is what I'm at. <laughs> um, and so what you do is... You, you can get this on Steam, on uh, iPhone, Android. If you have a, if you have a Note, by the way, you can use the stylus, and it's really? so good. Yeah, that's that why. That sounds amazing. That's why uh, on uh, Tarmine's anniversary, I stole her phone at one point, <laughs> started playing Idol Champions. She looks at me and she's like, "Are you fucking kidding me right now?" And I'm like, "But I can use the stylus and level up Brunor faster." Um, and so yeah, just real quick. Codename Entertainment, and mm-hmm. they make very good games, and oh, yeah. we, we loves them. Oh my god, they have a picture of like a beholder cake for their anniversary, and it's adorable. So, what Idol Champions is? Uh, first of all, it's mm-hmm. Idol Champions. Uh, it's uh, yes, I D L E. Yes. Um, I actually have the description they have on their app oh, store for it. Oh, I, I let's hear it. Yeah. So, Idol Champions challenges players to assemble a party of champions and master the art of formation strategy. Which, in the end, this is kind of what the game is. Mm-hmm. Um. Players unlock new heroes, upgrade them to reveal special abilities, and collect epic gear. The key to glory is learning how to combine champion abilities to defeat an onslaught of powerful monsters. Unlocked renowned champions. Uh, You can collect champions from the world of D&D, including fan favorites from Force Grey series, uh, including a lot of other series that are online and streaming Mm -hmm. at this point in time. Uh, You can unlock more champions and gear to add to your party in limited time events, which by the way, happen like every two weeks. Yes. You could There's unlock- one happening right now. Yeah. Bright Swords. Um, Bright Swords, yeah. You can unlock, who is it right now? Uh, right now it is Wolfgar and Turiel. Turiel. Oh, yeah. I've tri- Turiel's so good. I figured out how to use Turiel and it's oh, really good. <laughs> we're going to talk after the show mm-hmm. about that. Um, so there's formation strategy, which is mastering the position of each champion to maximize their special abilities. Each champion's abilities and gear requires careful thought on to create the best combination. So it's kind of like the concept of chess where you want to place certain pieces in certain places to the best of their ability but at the same time put them in that position and then never move them because your pawn is buffing your knight so good that you can't just exchange it with your your rook but then if you throw in the sorcerer who can do fireball every five seconds you're like oh this is was what mm-hmm. this is what i was lacking uh, i, I kind of <laughs> like jokingly in my head call it um a math the game with pretty graphics Oh yeah, because it like really at the end of the day, it's all about just getting bigger 
bigger numbers. So much so that, like, the numbers in this game get so big, I currently have mine set to scientific notation. As soon as I put scientific notation on, it made my life so much easier. Like, my DPS right now is 3.67E26. That is good. It's not that bad, <laughs> uh, especially since I'm on uh, uh, room 83. But with so, bright swords, you're going to need to be better. So let me give you <laughs> a little more in-depth about what this means. Yeah. So, uh... If you are unfamiliar with idle games, they normally play when you're not playing. This game is different. Mm -hmm. um, it will do a little bit while you're not playing. Like, you'll collect some gold and whatnot. But you mostly want to have this open. Like, usually what I do is uh, when I go out to write, uh, and also so I don't use my phone, uh, hey. I uh, <laughs> set it up. Plug the charger in and just let it sit there and let my champions walk. Your phone idles while you work. Yes. So <laughs> you have champions. Uh, you'll start with one. And they're always going to be walking to the right side of the screen. Enemies are going to come in and you're they're going to fight them on their own. You don't have to really do anything. You can click on them. You don't need to click on them. Like you can even very... level up your clicker. You don't need to do it. I mean, like, in the very beginning, it's super helpful to do yeah. that. And plus, when you get the fire breath potion, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. But then you get some familiars. Um, <laughs> and so they're going to be walking that way. They're going to be dropping gold. The more gold you get, the more you can level up that champion or unlock other champions. Mm -hmm. um, there are base... Uh, there are core champions. I believe they call them core. I learned that today. Oh, okay. There are core champions in every slot, and the slots go up to 12? Yeah, there's 12 bench slots. Um... So you're going to be unlocking these. There are more champions than there are actual positions in the map. I think the highest uh, I've been is 10. Like in a, a 10 slots oh. on a map. Oh, okay. I yeah, was just yeah. like, what? Yeah, I don't think I've ever played an 11 or a 12, but... Um, but that comes into the strategy of where and who to place in your game. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, your champions will have things like, oh, this uh, buffs uh, these sort of things or these buff. Like um, one of the Aarakocra is you get to pick, do you buff humans, elves, dwarves, or other? Mm -hmm. And then there's people like Hitch, who it's like, oh, I only buff characters with a charisma higher than 13. Mm -hmm. And then there's also, but the, the great thing is that there's some adventures where it's like, you can only use uh, characters with high charisma. You can only use characters with high con. Yeah. Now, when I say adventures... This is where it trips people up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So you, uh, you're going to start an adventure and you're starting room one and you just keep walking. Once you fulfill the criteria of that room, and it's not really a room, like it's just an area. Because some of them yeah. are rooms, like if you're in a tavern. A, it's a level. Yeah, but you could be outside or whatever. But they most people call them rooms. And you'll keep going to the next one until um, at the fifth one, you fight a boss. And then you just keep repeating that. Every five levels, yeah. you fight a boss. You keep getting gold, you keep unlocking champions, keep doing that, and eventually you're going to hit uh, the point of the quest. Like right now, mine was complete area 50, no restrictions, unlock Wolfgar and a certain amount of uh, the seasonal yeah. currency. and level 50 is usually where the main boss of the actual quest is. Yes. Um, now, once you do that... It will say, cool, you're done. Do you want to continue or complete it? Mm -hmm. If you continue, you're just going to keep fighting. Yeah. And uh, you can go up to really high levels. Yeah. And until you hit like a wall where 
the amount of gold you're making isn't upkeeping with the damage you need to put out. Yeah, or even letting you level people up more than yeah. once. Which is where it kind of gets into the concept of most other idle games. The point of restarting. Yes, so when you complete a quest, it'll take you back to the map. You'll get your rewards. Uh, you'll get some favor. We're not going to go into that because that's some real crunchy number stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, favor just lets you be better the next time you go in. Um and then you're going to start a new quest. You are back at that first character. Mm -hmm. All the other characters are locked again. Yeah. And the, I remember the first time I played this game, I went, excuse me? Yeah. but I worked the, so hard on what? Yeah. The neat thing about idle games, and this is uh, kind of common with other idle games too, is that that favor you just amassed will help you towards the next yes. gold find you get. Cause... Like, I remember when I first started this game, to unlock the fourth character in in the benches, uh, I think I was at l room twenty five. Mm -hmm. uh, I can unlock the second. I can unlock the fourth character before I think level four now. Yeah, generally by the time that all the event is like over, I pretty mm -hmm. much can unlock up to like bench. I think Jamila even has an achievement where she's like bench slot 11. Mm -hmm. And if you unlock her before level 50, that's an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And so I've done that multiple times now because if you earn enough favor, your gold find percentage is buffed with the more favor yes. you have. And so all of a sudden you're struggling to get even a single gold is now like, well, I get now over a thousand gold on my first level. Mm -hmm. And so it scales with you and it feels really nice. And the completionist and everyone is like, yes. Um, now the monetization that I want to talk about is, uh, there are things like starter packs. There are things, uh, like familiars. Familiars are super important. Yeah. Very helpful. You can unlock them through the game by getting gems, but it's a very slow roll. Uh, if you were going to dump money into it, I would suggest getting familiars, but they have a really cool founders pack. Uh, right now they are on founders pack two. The first one's gone. Happy anniversary. Yep. Uh, <laughs> you get a skin. Uh, for one of the characters, you get a familiar, and you get 5,000 gems, which is really good, and 42 gold chests. So they do have chests, which are, you know, loot boxes. Mm -hmm. However, I'm going to say right now that these are probably the most generous loot boxes I've ever seen. Crazy generous, yeah. Like, I open just one, and here's the other thing. They give out free gold chests all the time. If you mm -hmm. subscribe to the subreddit, you're probably going to get a free chest every day, if not every other. Yeah. They also send out a newsletter that you can sign up for that even unlocks a character, and you get a free gold chest in that every week. Yeah. And these things aren't just like, oh, well, I got some stuff. It's like, oh, no, I got a scroll that if I use, it'll drop a bunch of money all at once. Um, I got a fire breath potion that makes it so that my clicker DPS is through the roof. It gives you a bunch of stuff, and... The Founders Pack, for it's $20, which at first I was like, ugh. Now I'm like, oh, that's so cheap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of stuff that I'm going to get out of that is great. And yeah. they have, like, some cheaper stuff. Like, you can get familiars for $5. Yeah, especially when they have their sales, too. Yeah. Like, it's super nice because, like, oh, this familiar, which is, like, a $40 value, is only... 15 bucks mm -hmm. and it's like oh well that's actually kind of worth it especially with the things that it comes with and one of the things that i kind of feel like keeps the integrity of the game is you cannot buy champions yeah if you uh the only way to unlock a champion is by playing the game mm -hmm. is by either being present for the event where they were released or playing the game enough to unlock a time gate which takes does take a long time but you have to play the game in order to unlock those things all the other uh 
stuff for them is cosmetic. The stuff in the loot chest is going to help you progress through missions, but only that mission. So it's yeah. not really a pay. It's a pay to win sometimes, <laughs> but also there's no, you're not doing any kind of PVP in here. So it's yeah. all for you. You're definitely not losing out if you don't put any money in there. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Like I can, I can safely say I've put more money into this than you. You're oh, yeah. way better at this game than I am and have much more stuff than me. I've actually legitimately uh, bought both the Mage Hand and Armored Juniper on my own. And that's oh, 40,000 wow. gems. And I didn't pay for those gems. I worked for those. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, a, you know, a whore. Uh, <laughs> so hopefully this gives you an idea of what these games are hector it was hector right that yeah, wrote in? Hector yeah. is. um and maybe this will you know make us not talk about it as much you'll we'll probably say it here and there we'll still talk about it yeah um <laughs> but to round things out uh there are a lot of D games you can play mm-hmm. right now all right we're gonna real quick talk about the uh black sheep though yeah sword coast legends oh gosh yeah so, that's right Real quick, Sword Coast Legends was released. Oh boy, where was that? Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, 2015. Yeah. So it was within 5th edition. It was a really cool idea. I was super stoked for it. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. They even had a DM mode where you could build a dungeon yeah. and actually be the DM as players had their characters and run through the game. It runs terribly. The load times are atrocious. And I'm not going to talk about the developers because I know that they did put their they did put effort into this. It it's just felt like a D and D flavor. It had a lot of good D and D. I remember I saw I bought a gelatinous cube and I was like, oh my gosh, gelatinous cube! Yeah, like it did feel it, but there was a lot wrong with it. And I do hope though that they, I hope that they take this idea and do something else with it because I do feel like there was a good idea there. Like if also, they... Ein and Zur did the freaking music, and he did the first two Dragon Age yeah. games. Oh, my God. No, the music, I remember that being, like, the first thing getting into there. I was like, Ooh, this is nice. Yeah. Which is, like, when I said D&D flavor, it felt like you were playing D&D. Yeah. But, however, it's just the actual gameplay of it mm-hmm. was sort of disappointing. But it's, like, I kind of want what they did there and just kind of, like, combine that game with the concept of Lord of the Rings War in the North. Because that was one of the other good reasons about Sword love, Coast Legends I was like, oh, it's North. multiplayer. Yes. You can play couch co-op with this game. Mm-hmm. And, and then it wasn't yeah. good. And yeah. then it's like, but then you play games like Lord of the Rings War in the North, where it so is a couch bad. co-op, and it is beyond good how they do it. And it's like, well, just, just apply what happened there to mm. this flavor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so there's a lot of good stuff you can play, even for free right now, Neverwinter and uh, Isle Champions, but... All of the good classic ones are going to be coming to console this yeah. month with Neverwinter coming out in December. And if you play any one of those, I highly recommend uh, Neverwinter because I think it's going to be the one that feels the most familiar to you. Mm-hmm. And it is worth mentioning that it does not have, currently have a release date, much to my dismay, but Baldur's Gate 3 was announced this year. Yes. And the, uh, oh, we didn't go over this, but uh, they, the creators of Divinity Original Sin are making this. And if you want a game that feels like D&D but doesn't but you're okay with it not having like the flavor of like Waterdeep and all that and stuff Forgotten Realms yeah Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2 are your game namely 2 mm-hmm. that game because 1 you're stuck to these two characters and picking their class 2 you get to pick your uh, your race your class you do all this stuff you get to 
do, do dialogue. It is probably the closest I have actually played a game and felt like I was playing a tabletop roleplay game. That's cool. And they do uh, have turn-based combat, so it is not yeah. the... Baldur's Gate style. So Not I to have... mention the voice acting in there. I mean, oh, like, so if you enjoy the Critical Role voice acting cast, they're pretty much all in It's Divinity. true. It's yeah. true they are. Uh, but yeah, so they're going to be making Baldur's Gate 3, and you're going to hear us talk about that a lot as mm, that I'm, release I'm planning on going closer. full head into it. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right, but I think we have exhausted this topic. <laughs> uh, man, it was really funny. Before we started recording, I turned to Ellie and went, I think this is going to be a short one. And then I We're said... We're at an hour 12 right now. We talk a lot, Trevor. It's probably going to be a while. We do. <laughs> Uh, all right, so I gotta turn off Idle Champions <laughs> so I can get to our listener oh, question. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll be back, Jim. Don't worry. <laughs> um, okay, so Hector, we did his. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, did he have more questions on there? Oh, uh, we can. We're Hector. We're gonna get to those next week. Yeah, because uh, you do have a couple more in there. Uh, but we're gonna go with one of Aaron's uh, questions. Uh, thank you again, Aaron, for writing in. He wrote into difficultyclass at gmail.com, just like you can. Yeah. And Aaron wrote in with, "What is the best piece of advice you have received as a DM?" Yes. Uh, do you want to go first? Um, yeah. So, funny thing is, is that I'm much like in a lot of my hobbies, especially when it comes to this creative D and D hobby. Mm-hmm. I'm very much a self-taught trial by error kind of person. Yes, you are. Um, without tooting our own horn, probably the person that's given me the most advice as far as DMing goes is Trevor. Uh, mostly because of just, he's the person that brought me into this hobby. Also, you know, we lived together for a while. Yeah. And and it's like, (laughs) if I have a DM question, I usually go to him. And so if I have like any advice that would be good, it's from Trevor. To be fair, if I have a rule question, I usually defer to you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but in that regard, I would say the best advice Trevor's ever given me has actually been the previous episode was with the <laughs> theater of the mind. Yeah. I literally applied that to the past three games that I've ran, and it's been the most smooth going games I've mm-hmm. ever run when it comes to combat. And well, it's, I'm glad that helped. Yeah, it's been helping a lot. Yeah. And so I, I would definitely, if you haven't listened to that episode of Theater of the Mind, I would go check it out. If it helps me, it might help you. Um, but aside from just how I am intrinsically. Uh, yeah, because you said that you had one that you feel like you taught yourself best because of like a failure or something yeah, like if, that. Yeah, if there was advice that I would give out based on what I've learned from myself, mm-hmm. um, I would recommend not being afraid to say no to player concepts and ideas. Um, because I've had players come up to me with ideas of like, oh, I want to be this character. And then they spell out this character and I've been hesitant, but I'm like, ah, it should be fine. And I let it in. And then we get into the fourth session and I'm just like face palming going, why did I do this? Now I have to figure out how to deal with this because it's not like, oh, it's bad for, you know, gameplay. No, it's probably because it's not it. Most of the time for me personally, it was because it was bad for story and it was bad for just sitting at the table playing with that class. And Mm -hmm. it was homebrew and it's like, I shouldn't have done any of this at all. Whereas that hesitancy came in, I should have just said no. Especially, mm-hmm. like, afterwards, I tell you, like, oh, yeah, I let this in. And then you say, like, oh, I would have just stopped that. And I'm like, why didn't I just stop it? <laughs> <laughs> so that's definitely, I guess, my advice is don't be afraid to, like, you know, use your words. Say no as a DM every now and then. Just because a, care- a player comes up wanting to do something, you're allowed to say, no, not this time. Not yeah. with this game. Because that's probably my biggest advice. I think I've said that to Dusty a few times. <laughs> <laughs> um, my advice, um, 
I'm going to do two of them uh, because one of them is not quite advice, mostly something I stole, but I felt like it was advice. Uh-huh. But they're both from Chris Perkins. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I've been listening to Chris Perkins run games pretty much since I started playing D&D. I was really into podcasts at the time, looked up D&D, found the Penny Arcade games. And there's Chris Perkins running it for yeah. Jerry, Mike, and Scott. And um, they're in the first episode... Chris says the DM is not your enemy. Oh God, yeah. And I, or Scott starts laughing, and he goes, "Man, there's a lot of DMs I know that do not understand that." Mm-hmm. And that was the the moment where I went, "Okay, I I'm not I'm not the enemy. Yeah, I'm I'm not the enemy in this game. I'm not going to be their enemy. I'm I I I got a better grasp of what it was to be a DM just in that few moments of a podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think we even mentioned that earlier way earlier in this episode where it's like oh beware the smiling dm no yeah no not at all the smiling dm is happy that you're winning like (laughs) i'm not saying anyone's gonna buy me a gift that's listening to this but if you buy me a gift do not get me one of those amazon things is like fear the smiling dm oh the fear the dm's wrath i cringe every time i see one of those yeah because that's not how i run things and i don't want that to be the perception of me yeah yeah (laughs) the uh, I, there was a, there's another one that I steal from Chris sometimes when I'm running games where they're like, oh, who do you play? I went, I play all the soon-to-be-dead things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's yeah. a great way to put yeah. it. <laughs> but the the thing that I stole from Chris that, and it's not really stole, it's just he was talking about his process of DMing, um, I think it was on a, a questionnaire with Dice Camera Action, that um, was how do you prep? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, I probably only prep about 15 minutes of the game. (laughs) I write down some bullet points. I write down some notes of things that have happened in the past that might become applicable uh, in this game. And then I run that first part and then I just see what happens. Yeah. And I went, that sounds crazy and I want to try it. And I did it the next session um, and it was the most freeing thing I'd ever done. Actually, now that I think about it, that first, that next session I ran was the first Tomb of Annihilation game. Oh, really? Yes. And writing down just the stuff about uh, um, the NPC that takes them to Cholt and everything, I just wrote down some quick notes about that, and I just let things run, and I just did things as they came naturally, mm-hmm. and I named NPCs on the fly, and I went wow that was that was a great way to do it so since then that's all i've done i dm with one post-it note yeah i got one post-it note that's all i have on there and then afterwards now i've got my notebook that i put the post-it notes in and i write down notes as we're playing i'm totally stealing that idea maybe yeah. we should talk about that later yeah yeah i, I might <laughs> i might take pictures of this and put it on our instagram mm-hmm. that i'm working on um and so Doing that has probably been one of the best things I've taken away from Chris, uh, listening to him talk. And also, it, just listening to Chris Perkins talk about D&D is one of the most satisfying things. Like, he's so passionate. He loves it so much. There's a Between the Sheets episode mm-hmm. with him. And it, I watched it, you know, in a series of settings and, or a series of, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I didn't watch it all at once. That's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Uh, and... It was. I loved watching. It. I loved hearing him talk about it and how he got into it. Um, I kind of got long winded, but yeah, those are the those are the two pieces of advice that I that I've gotten. I totally agree. Those are great. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, well, if you enjoyed listening to this episode, the best thing you could do is leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice, whatever you're listening to us on right now. Uh, the other thing you could do is let your friends know uh, let your friends know about us uh, and let them know that we screw up intros and outros all the freaking time. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can uh, write in to us at difficultyclass at gmail.com with any questions, topics, suggestions, stories, anything you want. We can have a conversation on there. We can also have a conversation on Twitter at Difficulty Class. And you can see some cool stuff that we post on Instagram at Difficulty Podcast. And so uh, until next week, uh, don't stumble over your own words for about an hour and a half and then just not know what to say at the end and get killed. Thank you.